boys and girls, here Welcome to an episode of the Time to Talk. My name is Juan. This is my trip Anthony. This is a judo podcast for judo players by two judo players. So, Anthony, how you doing? We're going to have to do this twice, huh? <laughs> yep, we are. Uh, I'm Anthony really tired. In two weeks, because Anthony in two weeks is going on vacation. So, we is actually did weeks? one episode. Is it two weeks from now or three weeks from now? No, it's two it's weeks next from week. now. It's it? next week. Is it next week? It's, oh it, as of recording, it's next week. And as of this coming out, it'll be in like two days or three days. So, Woo! Anthony <laughs> on vacation again. Mr. Potty all the time. Potty yep. all the time. <laughs> so, what's happened this week for us? So, this this week, some interesting news came out. So, here in the U.S., we have USA Nationals. We have the Winter Nationals, which used to be a USJA, USGF uh, Winter Nationals. Now it is the Nanka, which is our U Donchikai's Winter Nationals. And then... There is now, or there was, USJF, USJA, Summer Nationals. And some sad news came out a few days ago that the Summer Nationals that were supposed to be held on July 7th, that weekend, in New York City. I believe it was New York, right? Not, was it New York or New Jersey? Yeah, New York. For some, I, was, I, I guess. It was, it was, I guess it's because it's hosted by um, Hudson, which, yeah. is, which is the Udon Shikai out there in the Northeast. So, Yeah. In New York, sadly, has gone canceled. Boo hoo hoo, Cindy Lou hoo. I didn't know. I'm it, sad honestly, I've it. seen tournaments out there, but I didn't know it was a, a, a USJF Summer National thing. So, well, it's not US. It's the well, the main host, I believe, is USJF slash USJA. I don't. I think that was the main one I saw on the thing. But whether well, it's a Summer Nationals, um, Though what happened before is that uh, USJA used to host the Winter Nationals here in California. Uh, they sold the rights to Nanka, which is our Udonchikai. It's a really well-run tournament. It's a great tournament to come to if you're ever in Los Angeles or it's right. It's in the first week, December. I'm not doing publicity now for Winter Nationals, but I should be talking about Summer Nationals. Oh, man. We should so, sell our intro dojo scrimmage to, to <laughs> Nanka. We should sell that to not. Yeah. But sadly, they're going to have the, the Summer Nationals in July. Uh, there was, that's why we have three nationals here in, L, in the United States, summer, winter, and then USA nationals. Uh, sadly, this one got canceled. The reason it got canceled because they said they couldn't find a venue was one of the main things they said was the first thing they said. The second thing they said is because they couldn't come to terms, again, couldn't come to terms with USA Judo to make it a points tournament. And I don't Anthony, believe this, I, I don't believe the venue thing, especially given the uh, what do you call it commercial commercial real estate prices right now, uh, rental mm-hmm. leasing, whatever you call it. Um, yeah, I don't believe the venue thing. If if you wanted to, you could have made it happen. There's somewhere that's going to be available. Change the date, you know. So <laughs> it should have done it at a Madison Square Garden. Why not? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> but this brings up again how the split up of uh, USA Judo, USA and USJF. And how things are changing. Oh, you, Anthony, you, you, I, I cut you off before you mentioned um, that hmm. they also mentioned it's not going to be there for points. So they're afraid of people not going to show up, basically. Yeah. yeah. But Anthony, get back to the Have a, they gone back to you yet? Oh, no. Yeah. This, we said no. we're going to make this a weekly thing. USJF has so, not gotten back to me. So how many weeks is this now? I, I don't know. I lost track. Especially, this you know, the, I'm me and dates. It, this is the third episode, I think now, third, possibly fourth episode now that they have yet to reach back to us mm-hmm. about why they decided to step away from the table. But continuing on with this, 
Uh, USA Judo decided not to give them the approval to make this a point tournament. So uh, obviously they're probably scared of spending all this money to get this venue. They want to get people there because I, I hear New York's very hard is very expensive to run. Well, okay, what was so that thing they said about again about USA Judo's only taking and not giving? Or, or one, yeah. someone was accusing someone was taking and not giving, but it seems like uh <laughs> it's not a give and take relationship no more. It seems like a yeah. pull away, not get it, not be near me relationship anymore. So I can understand them with their hesitation of like, you want to know what? We're going to spend all this money in New York. We can go do it in a cheaper state for cheaper money. Maybe it's going to get moved. Maybe it's be in the later summer. Maybe it's going to a few months down the line. Maybe it's going to move to, um, uh, where's the class? They've had it in Florida the past two years, haven't they? Yeah, they had it one time in Florida. I think it was Dayton or something. Yeah. Maybe we move back to Florida again. Maybe we'll be somewhere in the Midwest, maybe somewhere else. But apparently New York. Beach judo. For them. Beach, beach yes. judo. <laughs> the summer beach championship. Yes. <laughs> now we can still name Bash at the Beach now. You already got yeah. SummerSlam. Let's still be at Bash at the Beach. WCW. Why not? <laughs> yeah, they, they can also work with, uh, what is it? Beach Wrestling Association. Whatever that wrestling association is doing. It's pretty popular. I like watching. It looks fun. So It looks cool. They can have like, they can like maybe collab with them and have like a judo tournament day something after the beach mm-hmm. wrestling. <laughs> um, not sure how the logistics would work, but yeah. yeah. So that's kind of the big news that's happening here in the U.S. right now. Another big thing that just happened this past, well, as of recording, happened yesterday for us, a week for you when you guys listen to this, was the Golden State Open. Uh, we had fun. Anthony went to go help out and coach, but was too scared to go down the floor. <laughs> <laughs> too scared. Uh Apparently, if you go in with a kid, you can get in because I saw a bunch of parents just stepping on with their kids. Um, but Wait, otherwise, kidnap a kid. <laughs> yeah, otherwise they. Uh, I could, I should have just said I'm this Bernardino. <laughs> Bernardino <laughs> is my a, son. This is my son. He's not Asian, but um, I adopted him. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, because my coaching uh, certificate is through USJA, um, I wasn't able to get a coaching wristband to be on the floor. And Philippe um, told me, uh, I shouldn't say repeat exactly what you said, but Philippe told me that um, <laughs> told me that they were checking the, on a computer to make sure your your register your coaching license is up to date, your heads up, everything's up to date, and that you're yeah. So they were they were being pretty strict. So there's no way around it anymore. Because I remember the last time we went to Golden State Open, he was able to just be like, got three wristbands and gave it out to me and Juan or me and Eric and. Um, so that's no longer possible. Yeah. Which I'm, I'm happy about cause it kind of cleaned up the floor area. keeps a lot of the riffraff out. Well, I did. Well, when that's, I was that's my up. point. Like you, there were parents there and random people walking on, but people like me are like, <laughs> yeah, well, I did see one guy when I was warming up on the floor. I did see one guy, um, one of the Guerrero brothers, I believe it was, was like, Hey, if I see you down here one more time, I'm kicking out of the venue. And I was like, oh, yeah, do it, do it. <laughs> so then the guy left. He was like, oh, okay, I got to leave then. Because you know how some of these gyms are. They have like 10 coaches there and stuff. Yeah. And like five guys on the side just yelling out at the, at the player. So, but it was a really nice experience for the most part. You know, it was, it was cool being part. there and hanging out. This uh-huh. tournament took forever. Okay. Oh, if anyone wants to know how I did too, yeah, I competed men's um, M3 division under 90 kilos. I cut a little bit overweight than I was supposed to. I got second place. I hate this. I love this tournament. And I hate this tournament too because I always get second place at the tournament. Yeah. I swear this is like my 10th second place at this tournament. Ah, but so 
This tournament was through Smooth Comp, which I thought was going to make things smoother. It didn't because I was supposed to have my first match at 12 o'clock. What time did I fight? It was more close to four o'clock by the time I fought my first match. Yeah. I was supposed to be done by one o'clock. I didn't get finished till almost after four about. Mm -hmm. So what they did is that, and Anthony's the one that found this out. So the day that, so the day before they're, they're um, weighing people in, they decided to put all these juniors and juveniles that were supposed to be on day two. They were going to move them to day one. I don't know why. I don't know for what reason they did this. They decided to do that. So it pushed everybody back and made everything longer. I got at the tournament around 11 o'clock uh, because I thought I was going to fight at 12. I stayed for our last player. Our last player didn't fight till almost eight, like almost 840. Yeah. Yeah. It was like 840. I, I, I left it already, but I was checking the, the, uh, the smooth comp the whole time. So I, yeah. Yeah. Anthony got cold feet and got tired. He was like, I'm going home now. I'm done. Well, it's because I was just sitting there. I mean, it was fun for me because I, I was like, oh, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. And then I was just like <laughs> talking to all the different people that I, I uh, know. So um, that was fun for me. It was actually more fun than coaching because, you know, coaching, <laughs> you have to <laughs> you have to go back and forth and make sure everyone's there. But it, for me, it was just like hanging out. And then once everyone left, I just left. So mm-hmm. we had. Um, so, yeah. Uh, my my the the two um friends from Bridgetown Judo when they hosted me when I went up to visit their club um visit so I, I was hanging out with them afterwards uh mm-hmm. they said this is like a mess of a tournament and yeah apparently was I, I thought it was relatively well it's not the best <laughs> like not like the Taishi one but it was relatively better than pre smooth comp competitions I think um relatively it was relatively good i think um <laughs> i told them this is relatively good i've been to worse and they wouldn't believe me but um they they said in pacific northwest uh the tournaments are better run i don't i haven't been to one I will, maybe i will go to one. i was telling them i want to go to one uh, up there so mm-hmm. i maybe they are better run but uh i i think it was pretty decently run i don't think it was well, that yeah. bad i would say uh by runway, runway, <laughs> by the way, it was run. It was run smoothly for the most part. You know, the only thing that made it longer is that we had anticipated start times that were put out last night and the morning. And then it kept getting pushed back because it kept adding yeah. and changing. But people. ever, if you understand, if you listen to our podcast or if you understand the rules, you, you know why it happens is because of the, the breaks in between and then the injuries, which is what happens. And then, um, People, like for example, the the mat you were on, I'm not oh, going to yeah, say my which mat one. was terrible. Yeah, the, I'll the say mat, it, it was mat number. No, I'm not going to say. Yeah. So, like, it, okay, every one match. The, yeah, every matches, match is going to golden score. Yes, every match is going to golden score, and part of it has to. Uh, this is one thing I'll say: the refing was terrible. <laughs> I say all but <laughs> in particular this time it was terrible. Um, it was going to golden score mostly because he wasn't calling a lot of the passivity shitos that should happen. And there was a guy that was consistently stalling as in like he would lay on the ground and not get up. And he, I don't know how many divisions he signed up for, but he, he, um, if he's that tired, maybe he shouldn't have signed up for so many matches. Cause I saw him, he was every single time I looked down, it was him fighting. Mm-hmm. So I think he probably had like 10, 15 matches or some crap like that. Yeah. Um, over exaggeration, by the way, it's not that many, but it felt like it. And almost every match went to golden score. He was laying on the floor. The referee told him to get up multiple times. He wouldn't get up. Never gave him a shito for it. Should have mm-hmm. given him a shito for it many times. 
And then when he lost, his ref was like, I think one time he did a bear, uh, bear hug and he got Han Sokomaki for that. Mm-hmm. And the, they were, the, he, the athlete got awarded the win. He left the mat. The loser just sat there and refused to get off the mat. The coach was protesting, got the head ref over, looked at the replay multiple times. Um, they should have just said, fuck off. Like, yeah, we, I just find it hilarious that I'm not allowed on the, the floor because of, um, not having a USA judo coaching certificate, but here's a coach that's allowed on the floor and was never told the rules that one, the player's not supposed to talk to the ref when, which he did multiple times complaining about Shido's. Mm-hmm. And then two, you're complaining to the head ref and arguing about it the whole time. And three, the player already walked off the mat. There's no redos after the the player walks off the mat. If you mm-hmm. took the coaching t- license thing, you should you would know that. And yeah. these are the guys allowed on the mat, and I'm not allowed on the mat. So on the mat side, so that's kind of uh, ironic. But that kind of behavior and not the the poor Shido refing. Uh, also, I saw a lot of bad calls. I'm not, I'm not going to go into the details. Like the, it's very clear that a lot of these refs didn't look at the updated rules. Oh, yeah. I, I saw like Epon called for someone sitting on a butt, um, not even like landing, not, not even, uh, not even like being pushed back to the back. Um, I'm not including bad calls that got reversed. I'm just talking about calls that they gave out and the, the wrong person won for it, basically. So, there were some arm bar throws that they weren't calling. Oh, yeah. There like, are that's plenty bleak. of arm bar throws. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was just. That the refereeing was a mess, but I also found out there were short on refs. Um, so I'll give them that. But um, yeah, it goes back to what I said. Like I was there at the top, sitting around doing nothing the whole time. I could have refed. You know? <laughs> Why didn't you go put a yeah, suit no, on? No, how do you? How? No, I could have volunteered. I could have refed. I I didn't get asked anything. So this refers back to our last episode, but. Um, yeah, it was. I thought it was a relatively well-run event. Just the refs were terrible. Then that's, uh, and that's. I'm glad I didn't compete because I can't imagine paying what a hundred bucks. If you registered late, if you registered early, it was only like seventy or eighty. Yeah, I can't even seventy bucks. I can't imagine doing that. Waiting thirteen hours, fourteen hours to fight, and then getting getting pushed onto your butt, and then getting an epon called on it. Like mm-hmm. I can't imagine that happening. So. Um, and what happened to one of my friends was he waited like all day only to find out the guy never showed up. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, no, the guy didn't show No, the guy left. Hold on, he lost left, my headphone it? again. <sighs> oh God, Anthony. Still okay, unprofessional. <laughs> Still unprofessional. I thought the guy left. I thought the guy like showed up and then he left. He was tired of waiting. No, he... I think that was the case that he was tired of waiting and left. That's otherwise they would tell him like your guy, your the guy never showed up, but mm-hmm. so, uh, I don't want to make it obvious who it is. So I'll just leave it, the details out. But basically he waited all day just to find out the one guy in his division is not there. And he flew here from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, and th- <laughs> also what was it like? Junior Bernardino, uh, when he signed up for a tournament, he's an orange belt, and then like a week later, we promoted him to green belt. And obviously, I, I don't know how they freaking separate the shit anymore. You know, for for adults, it's like <laughs> novice and then brown and black belt, right? Yeah. But he threw the shit out of the first kid he fought. Then they're like, "Oh, why does he have a green belt?" 
And it's like, uh, what? And then they made him fight, <laughs> go fight up the division to green. Apparently, there's green belts and above now. Um, that's okay. Apparently, that's not okay. Apparently, that he was fighting kids his age, his size, but uh, his amount of experience. But most of our adult beginners had to fight freaking brown and black belts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One, one it's like, guys, yeah, they got promoted up. Yeah, they got booted up. How is that fair in any way? I, I, I don't know. But I, I feel like you should give them an option the day before to say like, hey, we're putting you in. A, they didn't get a notification for it that they're fighting a freaking brown and black belt. They should be allowed to back out of it instead of being cannon fodder for um, the black belt. Um, other than that, a lot of sandbagging I saw from uh, again the the ones that were causing the the problems. Um, not going to mm-hmm. say it's from that city that sounds like Gardena, but it's not. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, lots of sandbagging. Like this guy, I'm like, that's a white belt. I'm like, no way. Like, there's no freaking way that guy has a white belt. His Ushimata mm-hmm. is better than mine. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's just lots of sandbagging uh, going on. Um, uh yeah that's uh, i i think again i i love the the two brothers that run the event i thought they did like a great job running it mm-hmm. it was just uh yeah i don't know what the solution is to sandbagging um there's there's no solution there's, there's no, really none yeah there's really no solution i feel like it's kind of like better to be like hey next time this happens let me see this happening again like promote your students if, if next time this happens again and we're, we're gonna like not let you join kind of thing mm. they need to they, they need to yeah, really yeah. enforce the the kicking people out the coaches out banning them if they don't follow mm-hmm. the rules because it just yeah. delayed the whole freaking mat you know for so long and mm-hmm. this guy fought like 10 matches and every single match he had some complaint mm-hmm. which fu- like fucked everyone over down the line mm-hmm. was waiting um, well, one mat that got me frustrated is that one mat kept on crashing. I kept seeing the computer on one of these. Yeah, the, every time yeah. I would look down there, it's crashing. Like that's holding everybody up over there. Like that was just one thing. But like I said, for the most part, it was run okay. It wasn't great, but I do think they screwed themselves over by adding kids, adding these new divisions on oh. the sec on the first day when they shouldn't have. They should have kept them on the second day. Whether they're trying to get earlier today on Sunday or just trying to like split things up more evenly. All I do is make more work for people, make more people upset. Yeah. But this I, is better because this is also the tournament that's known for going to venues that have like terrible AC. Oh yeah. They, no this AC. is the first time we're doing it at Azusa, right? It's a, it was a great yeah. venue. Yeah. Yeah. Azusa is a great venue for bathrooms weren't disgusting. Like there were multiple stalls. So even though one stall was completely wrecked by someone again, <laughs> um, I was uh, able to use the other stalls. Oh God. I paid I paid sixteen dollars for two hot dogs, by the way. Why did you buy hot dogs? So I was hungry. I had one. You could have had one. The, the other the other option was a side bowl, like, like <laughs> um. So, but um, it was an inter- it was an interesting experience. I put it at that. Yeah, I also saw bad. a couple of cell phones fall out, <laughs> and some people getting away with it. You know, mm, so I don't want to talk about that. Very very inconsistent calls. So, so we're gonna get to our main topic of the episode today. It is about ecological training with our friend Christian from Canada. He's into the system too. And we're gonna to talk about this, some of the things, the pros, the cons, the good, the bad things about mm-hmm. it. And this is gonna be part A. This interview went kind of long. So since Anthony is going to uh, Europe, he's going to Ireland, we're gonna turn this mm-hmm. into two parts. This is just part A of the interview. So with that, without any further ado, let's get to the interview. 
So ladies and gentlemen, let me welcome our friend Christian back to the show. And we had him back, we had him back on like, what was it almost two years ago or one year ago? How long ago did we have you on? It was definitely not two years ago, man. Uh, was it like three years ago? What did we have him on for? I don't remember. Well, we had him on. <laughs> we, talked about, <laughs> we talked about uh, sumo, catch wrestling, Canada, uh, judo in Canada and stuff. It was just to get a different I think perspective. it was just about judo in Canada. Yeah. Right. And we, we America. talked a little about some other stuff, but well, episode invite, 22 <laughs> episode 22 so that oh, was wow. first year then yeah that was towards the end of last year the end of our yeah. first year then yeah so i want to thank you back to the show congratulations on your black belt since then congratulations on doing your little sambo stuff teaching sambo on the side i know you told me you had a little tournament and you're doing your catch wrestling still i believe as well so i just want to congratulate on all the stuff you've been doing this past three years and he was he actually, actually visit he actually visited us. you weren't I, there that day he visited us while uh, he was since there. then no i was there I oh you were there times. okay yeah he decided to step up and found out <laughs> <laughs> he came by to buy one of the calendars and we were selling those yeah. calendars so we, it was a very small class but we had fun it was it was like yeah. really it was like uh, you me ramiro um uh, johnny was johnny was there and johnny like, was there, one yeah. or two other people johnny was there it was, a small, it was a fun class but how are you doing christian I'm doing well. Yeah. Glad to be back on the pod. Glad to be able to talk to you guys instead of just, you know, hearing you in my car speakers yeah. on the way to judo. <laughs> Look at him flipping uh, through his notes. Like he's preparing for war. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, like you said, you know, doing judo, I think next year will be my 10th year of judo. So it's, it's a good time. Yeah. Started teaching Sambo, got given mm-hmm. back on the Sambo side. Got to get that old judo back. Uh, and we're calling it Sambo. So <laughs> <laughs> how does it feel now? Cause I don't, I don't, I think you were just about to get your black belt. You just got your black belt when you, when you interviewed with us the first time, how's it feel now being a black belt? You got that, like that weight on your shoulders. You got that imposter syndrome all gone now. How do you feel? Uh, yeah, it's all, it's all gone now. Uh, I think when I first got it, I still had it and you know, it was, I had broke my hand. So the practice after I was presented the black belt, I went home to San Diego and I broke my hand. So I was out for like three months and I got to train for two weeks before lockdown uh, in like March of 2020. And then I came back, you know, uh, a little heavier than before. I was like, oh man, I don't know. The brown belt looks and feels way better. I see it like hanging up on the wall. I was like, that's better than what I'm wearing. But, you know, it's been a few years since then. Uh, So it's, it's coming in. Yeah, I feel good. And my imposter syndrome never went away. I still (laughs) feel like a brown belt. Yeah, that's a big. It's weird. uh, Yeah, it's weird to be now these days. At least at my club, I'm I'm the guy that's in the black belt line. They're like, "Oh yeah, you got you go." And I was like, "There's older people than me in the line." I'm like, "Oh, (laughs) well, I guess I have been here sort of the longest in this in the like sub black belt line, not the teacher black black belt line." Yeah. So eh, I never thought I'd be here. <laughs> it's like, all right, since any Ray. Ah, yep, yep, yep. So the reason we have Christian on the show today is because we're going to talk about the ecological way of training or the scientific way of training. Now, this is a big thing that's been coming up a lot because there's been uh, there's a BJJ coach out there that's doing this and is getting some results from it. Anthony's all into it. He's tried to get me into it. So I've watched some videos. Christian's into it too. So yeah, I wouldn't like, say I'm all, I, I wouldn't say I'm all into it. So Anthony drank the Anthony drank the Kool-Aid. Anthony drank the Kool-Aid and got seconds. All right. <laughs> no, no, you're all up in the Kool-Aid. You love it. Don't worry. Don't lie. 
But we're going to talk about this because this is something different. Some people would like it. Some people don't like it. There's pros and cons just to everything. So we're going to discuss some of those things today. So Anthony, kind of like explain what the ecological or scientific way of training is. Yeah. So let's start off with a caveat that none of us are experts. We're just like three regular guys like discussing this from a very uh, recreational point of view, especially since it's not our full-time job to run a dojo. Um, I've been just reading listening to a lot of podcasts, reading all the books they recommended and reading the papers. And it's honestly a very dense read, but um, the gist of it is the traditional approach of training, like prescribing uh, uh, a, a movement action, think like Osotogari, right? You step here, then here, then this, then you pull your hands and you lift your leg up kind of thing. That's kind of like called um, the information processing model. You give someone information and then they process it. Um, the idea is you press a button and then you get uh, an outcome, basically. There's like, in you're trying to teach your brain to have this uh, program, basically, that takes in information when, it, when they see that information, then they're going to process it in a certain way. And then you press the button and the results come out. Uh, versus the ecological approach, it's kind of like saying your environment um, around you. So um, everything from what the mats you're st stepping on to whether there's a scoreboard there being shown um, to the size of your opponent, all those things determine um, how your body reacts basically and how, how, how they move, how their body moves. And that approach to learning supposedly yields uh, better, faster results. And um, also the permeability of the learning uh, is more persistent that way, which means longer lasting. And people basically retain the knowledge better. As far as I know, that's the very simple couple of minute way of uh, describing it. Uh, Christian, do you have any, do you, is that what you, the um, idea that you got from that or is there anything that you'd like to add? No, I would agree. I think without getting into the, the terms or, you know, what ecology is, uh, I think that's a good description. Yeah. Yep. So we agree on this. We yeah. agree. Do we agree? Do we agree on this? Score, no score. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so like to me, when I first lear learned about this, when I first watched the videos and read the things that Anthony sent me, it seemed that these people were talking about that stationary training doesn't work. That stationary training is not going to make you better. So you, uh, to clarify, when you say stationary, you mean static Uchikomis yeah, in static. particular? Yeah. Like for judo, like static Uchikomis, okay? Doing 10,000 static Uchikomis isn't going to work as well as movement Uchikomis are going to work. And movement and giving yourself um, resistance and giving yourself some um, situations is going to help you um, get better faster. So to me, when I first read this, it seemed like that's what it sounded like to me, like stationary stuff. And they always talked about, like, the only one that talked about the most was the BJJ ones you sent me. But there hasn't been any judo ones out there. And then you sent me some ones about basketball and the volleyball when you talk about a lot. I'm like, I can see them doing this. <sighs> To me, it seems like some of the things they talk about is like very tough. I think in other sports, where in martial arts, I think it's going to be much more easier for us to adapt into it. But I will say this, and I know uh, I'm going to I'm just going to put this out there very quickly. I think we've been doing this in martial arts for years already, because even when I was a kid doing karate, they would always say the best way to get better at karate isn't just doing kata, isn't just doing one steps, it's sparring, getting your sparring, even just doing like single like one step sparring is going to make you better. And that's the same thing we see in judo. You want to get better at judo, do more Rondori. Actually go do Rondori. So yep. I, I want to say for us, we've been doing this somewhat for a long time already. I think it's just other sports now catching up and figuring out as well. Yeah. So, I know there's something. 
Okay. Yeah. Go ahead, so I was going to say, Chris, I was going to say, I have something to uh, say to that. Uh, um, do you need, do you need a second Christian? <laughs> oh, okay. I was going to say like, I want to touch on that briefly, but um, I want Christian to get a first take at it. Cause uh, yeah. So I think I could add, I could give like an anecdote, I'm sort of bridging these things. So like the sort of old Ujikomi style. Uh, so I switched to fighting as a lefty. So, you know, everyone knows judo probably who listens to this. So, you know, you, you know, when someone does Ujikomi well, if you've gotten to like Shodan, you do Ujikomi well, you can feel that, you know, when it's right. If you do like your throw that you're not very good at, your Ujikomi is not very well. But uh, when I switched to fighting lefty, so my lefty Uchikomi is not as good as my right. So you could say I was bad at, you know, lefty Uchikomi. But when I sw switched to fighting lefty, you know, my Uchimata Uchikomi was bad or not so great. But my, you know, fighting skill of actually doing Uchimata is one of my best throws when I fight lefty now. So there's, you know this sort of approach kind of separates out, teases out these things that, uh, you know, there's sort of things that we have in our practice, like Uchikomi, which might not give themselves to uh, what we're actually doing, like the actual fighting. So I think that kind of, as an anecdote, kind of goes off of what Ron, what Juan says. Yeah. Um, so the, the, I do want to touch upon the Uchikomi. So if I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying you you got some stuff out of static uchikomi by practicing your left side basically before doing it in rondori is, is that I, would, I would say no but okay. you know i i can recognize that my left uchikomi is not is not great uh but you can fight left-sided but i can fight left-sided exactly okay so i yeah. have so just we're gonna jump around a bit but basically i did notice something like that recently either because um I'll, I'll go into some of the games that we play in our class but there's a girl in our class that has never done um, judo before or any other martial arts. Maybe like she, she said, like she did gymnastics. Um, but I've been teaching her Osotogari with the constraints led approach. And uh, we'll talk about that, the, that term later. But uh, basically, she was able to throw people around with slight resistance, like not full on resistance. Um, I have them start in um, a position that's basically ready for also the and the resistance starts from there. Um, and after a while I decided for them to do a throwing line on a crash pad, um, with a Sotogari. Uh, I did not give any instructions. I just said, just do it and throw them as hard as you can from a, um, regular square entry position. So this time we don't have any constraints. The only constraint is you start from a square position and there's a crash pad there and she was not able to do it. And she was like, it feels really weird because I'm able to throw people resisting me during sparring. But now this guy's like helping me and I'm like not doing it correctly. I feel I feel like I'm just pushing, blocking the leg and pushing them down. And I told her like, yeah, because it's not realistic. And I was like, it was kind of for me, it was kind of an experiment because it means the two um, movements are decoupled. So they're not they don't represent they're, they're not strongly uh, connected to one another. So doing the crash pad throwing doesn't transfer the skill of throwing a resisting opponent very well. Um, now this is where I disagree with some of the people that have been posting on Reddit and some other podcasts are saying, well, this is why that's completely useless. Cause I think they're throwing out the, 
the bathwater, the baby with the bathwater, the bathwater with the baby. <laughs> oh shit, the baby! Because <laughs> I do think Crash Pad allows you to um, do the throws harder and practice on the commitment of the end part of the action. It is decoupled, but um, the transfer is not as strong, like we said earlier. But you're able to do more repetitions of it because there's a Crash Pad there. You're, you're not murdering your partner every single time. So I think the fact that it's you're able to get rapid amounts of um, uh, attempts of this this uh, situation and it, it still has value, um, though I don't think it transfers over to to resisting the opponent. Obviously, so uh, yeah, that's that's what I would say about what you said because I personally noticed that too. Is um, I was able to do left sided uchimata attempts from trying it in Drondori. But I wasn't able to do left-sided Uchikomi perfectly for um, Uchimata. That I had to do separately. And in the end, it did help my left-sided Uchimata. But it's also, again, I, I've noticed the transference is not that good. But um, this is why we can talk more into this topic because I don't want to go too much in detail and jump ahead. But um this is why it's also important because if Juan says um, we've been doing this this whole time and that's right, we, we have been doing it, but the problem is, is it efficient? Because in Rondori, you could be grip fighting for, let's say a four minute round, you could be grip fighting for two minutes and then with, and you only have two minutes of actual um, attempts of throwing. And within that two minutes, you might only have like one opportunity for Kochigari, two opportunities for Osotogari. So if you wanted to work on Uchimata and that Uchimata opening never happened, how would you ever train Uchimata? At that point, you'd be forcing yourself to do Uchimata in situations that don't allow for it. So the whole idea of this ecological approach, constraints-led approach, is you uh, modify the environment via constraints that you create an environment where the Uchimata is there. And you can that using using that you're able to practice like that Uchimata in that situation a hundred times. You're trying to recreate that split moment in Rondori for that one throw, one technique in that situation, or uh, multiple situations, right? Uh, maybe it's like the guy has his foot one uh, weight on his one foot, but then different hand, different hip positions. Um, but you're you're maximizing the amount of. Uh, um, attempts you get in basically versus in Rondori, you might have a good round. You might have a bad round. Um, but so that, will, that's what I think. I will say there's one thing we do have in judo where I'm, where I, where I'm not just saying just straight Rondori, but we have like, we didn't have this in karate. We have this in wrestling. We have this in anything else, but we have Yako Seiko Geiko, which is you go, I go stuff. So we have that even with that already, like what I do in my intermediate class, I have them do. I, I didn't really realize until like we were doing this, talking about this, that, I play these games too. I put these restraints on too that I don't like. I don't like these terms and stuff. We'll get to the terms in a little bit too, so people can understand what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> but I tell people like we've worked on um, like last week we were working on uh, makikomis. Okay, so when I have them do yakusuku geikos, like you're only allowed to do these makikomis. All right, you can allow to. I'll let you set them up with like kochi wochi. What do you want to do? Set up, but you have to finish with makikomi. And you go, you go, I go, you go, I go regular regular just like normal yakuseko so like we have this in judo we're we're above everybody scientific we're scientific we're judo all right kano was the best yeah i said it yeah come at me <laughs> so Christian, without, can you yeah <laughs> okay, do, ahead, do we want to go over the the terms and stuff and yes, um please. christians 
um, the reason we invited Christian on is because he, when I shared this stuff uh, with him. Oh, you guys, papers ready. He's ready. Yeah. I, I see. <laughs> when we shared, when I shared this stuff on my um, Instagram, um, what he was like, I'm not a fan of how they use all these terms and all that stuff. And um, so let's let's start with that discussion. Then we can talk more about the practice and um, we can continue. Just so I, rem this is a reminder, like a bookmark about coming back to talking about how judo already does all this stuff. Right. So, um, yeah, Christian, you, you, you're saying that there's all these terms like invariance affordances and, um, I, I can't honestly, I remember concepts. I don't remember words. That's, that's just my way of learning. So you're, you're going to have to uh, talk about it. All right. So I would say, uh, you know, and when we, if any of us use these, uh, these terms definitely come back to this section, this bookmark, because uh, uh, it'll explain some of the more jargony language that we'll probably hear throughout the episode. So as a whole, you know, going through my, I have a biology degree, uh, I'm really not a fan of jargon. I think it's, you're putting this sort of uh, language and it's not about, it kind of limits the access or the uh, there's like a, there's a nice word for it, um, like accessibility. Yep. Um, so you limit that by using these sorts of languages. So if you want to educate people, I think you should speak in, you know, simpler terms. Um, because, you know, in biology, you know, one thing can mean one thing in one specific field can mean something else in another field. So it can be kind of confusing. Um, so if we just think about the ecological approach to learning, so, you know, I have like a basic understanding of ecology. So when we're talking about this in, in this learning method, so ecology kind of, you know, think about your organism and their environment. So in terms of levels of ecology, you sort of have a few, but the ones that kind of apply to what we're talking about for sports. So you have your individual, your organism, and then you sort of have a population level. So that would be, you know, my dojo. Then you have your community level. So judo as a whole. So this is kind of what's influencing you know, what you're doing in your sport. So what you're doing for your sport and you. So this is kind of what they're speaking about. So, um, you know, when you think about, uh, they, they have terms like, uh, you know, functional behavior, that's sort of what you're able to do. You know, the organism is able to move around. Uh, they have terms like affordances. So whenever I'm gonna talk about affordances, uh, which is a term by Gibson, uh, that's your sort of possibility for your action. So an organism has, you know, if it can walk on two legs, it can do these things. So when it goes further on, it says, you know, sometimes you're not, if you haven't been shown something or you're not in the right spot to be able to do something, you know, that, that movement exists, but you're not, you're not able to perceive it. So this is kind of where this really goes down a rabbit hole. Um, so development is another term. So that's sort of your skill acquisition. So you need to, you know, you need to get your development better. It's like your potential for your behavior. So in judo, we have development, we have your skill acquisition. Uh, so you have, depending on your ability. So, you know, if you have one leg, that's going to limit your judo. So it's going to, going to affect your skill acquisition. Um, and then, you know, depending on the individual, you'll have sort of the behavioral flexibility, so you can sort of fine tune whatever you're trying to do in terms of these sort of games. Um, let's see here. Then we have like invariance is a, 
think a, a really bad jargon term. Uh, it's just, it means constant, unchanging. So uh, when Greg Saunders talks about invariances, I think it's, it's, it's pretty gross <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, these are the things that are constant in whatever you're talking about. So, you know, yeah. gravity, constant, fine. Um, but, so can you, know, you talk about what invariance in, in a grappling? Because I was going to talk about invariance too, but since you're already yeah. talking about it, what you, I think it's, I don't totally agree that you shouldn't use that term, especially invariant. Um, but let, what in a grappling context, what is an invariant? Let's just talk about that. So it could be gravity. So gravity is always present, never changing. Um, so to, regardless of where you are in the world, gravity is going to affect you. If you pick up a pencil, it's going to drop down. So this is an invariant. This is a unchanging fact of life, of what our reality is. So you have so, to take into account yeah. these things when you're trying to perform a task. Or so a for, for like Greg Sauter's, um uh, example of invariant is for a technique, for example, even though he, he was talking about how he doesn't use like the term technique, but um, like an arm bar, the invariant would be you'd always have to control the shoulder and your the the breaking point, for example, is always the elbow. Those are things that never change. No matter how how you do the arm bar differently, those things never change. And in um judo context for me, like a, a hip throw of any sort is your hips always the fulcrum. That's an invariant. So um that's what I want to talk about. So yeah, continue. I'm glad you took uh, notes, by the way. Saved me a lot of work. <laughs> there's a couple others that might come up. Um, so there's sort of degeneracy. So it's sort of your, that's the sort of self-organization. You have other terms like uh, attunement, how, how you're able to pick up on things that are always there. So the example for that was, you know, our radio signal is always being put out rather regardless of if you tune in. So that's your ability to pick up on something that's always there. So gravity is always there. <laughs> Can you use gravity to throw someone that's up to your skill development to attune? So there's other ones, uh, but I think, you know, they're, they probably won't come up that much. Uh, if they do, I can always come in and give my unjargoned language. Yeah. So, um, as I said, I, I watch like almost like right now I'm, I'm done with the Rob Gray's first book and I'm halfway through, not even halfway, probably a third way through his second book. Um, I watched like maybe like 10 of his YouTube channel videos. I did listen to all of the, the podcast interviews, but for this episode, I particularly sent Christian and Juan two videos. I don't remember what the other one was, but the one I sent was about uh, Rob Gray on his YouTube channel talking about why the terms are required. Um, and the the short I'll summarize the short of it, then I'll let Christian respond and want probably we'll start with Juan this time before Christian. Um the the short version of the video is basically he's saying uh oh is is that the notes that you're talking about? <laughs> no, it was uh you sent the Rob Gray video and then yeah. Greg Saunders uh Okay, interview. yeah. Yeah the Greg Saunders interview, yeah. So basically these terms first of all, we got this is not in the video, but first of all, we're going to understand that Rob Gray is an uh, academic. He's a professor studying skill motor learning skill acquisition, right? So all of this stuff that he's talking about is targeted towards academics, not for people like us to understand, right? Not And he, his job as a consultant 
because he does consulting. I think right now he he was working with um with volleyball for a while, and now he's like a consultant for the Red Sox or White. I don't watch baseball. I don't know the teams. Some something Sox, Red Sox, White Sox. I don't know. Sorry for whoever is a fan of those teams. Um, <laughs> so he's working as a consultant with those uh, people now. Um, and I guess his job is to translate all this scientific jargon into plain English for those people. Um, but Rob Gray's two books are targeted towards coaches and people like us. But um, I think uh, Greg's um, point is as a coach, you should there right now, this ecological approach, psychology kind of thing is still relatively a new field. And like Juan said, we've been doing this for ages. Um, but there's a lot of things that we've seen pattern over the years, but it has to be um, compartmentalized and studied when backed up with data, uh, like scientific proof. And then we have to find a systematic way of being able to do things and prove that these things work. And it's easy to say, yeah, we've been doing judo and it works. Right. But how do you prove that it works? And how do you prove that a hundred percent of everything you did works and not just like 50% of it. So for example, we've been doing Rondori the whole time, but how do you know how many rounds of Rondori is perfect? Maybe within Rondori, there's something you do during Rondori's works, but not the whole thing of Rondori works. Um, does that make sense? What I'm saying? Like you, th that's why studies are, are required, but, um, I'm veering off topic, but basically the terms are, are required because it's focused on academics and within different fields of academics, they use different, uh, same, the same word can mean different things for different fields. Um, and I, um, I, I, I'm trying to think of an example, but I work in, um, for the military and do tech stuff like software engineering. And that happens all the time. Like even within the military, you have people use acronyms all the time to shorten, shorten the stuff. And you have to be very careful of acronyms because they share acronyms within different branches of the military. Um, so you always have to be, what do you mean by this? Like, please like be more clear. So I think these terms are, like you said, yes, they're, they put up an accessibility barrier, but for a scientific, uh, point, point of view and study point of view, it's really important to have these terms so you can separate the differences from the inf traditional information processing model and other fields of sciences. Um, Juan, when do you th think of that? I think I'm way out of my league here. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the thing with the terms is that I think uh, the, the reason he likes using his terms because it's what he created and what he feels is best for it. No, he, he I, didn't. He didn't create it. Just, just so you know. <laughs> no, he there, did it. He did it. I he, thought he's the because the way he talks, he talks like he's the one that created these terms. So no, no, no. He, he. So the, the way science works is people do research and then someone publishes. Yeah, I know the how paper. science works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. he, he he's Goddamn, building. I'm gonna, Monday, I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, you know, people like maybe Greg benefit from using these terms or, uh, okay. when they or, talk to you know jujitsu people and they're like this guy holds popularized yeah probably yeah. i'll give a pass because he's an <laughs> yeah so but, not yeah. all academics get passes <laughs> the, the point is i'm not gonna the point is i'm not gonna use these terms to talk to my um beginners like mm. person learning i'm not gonna tell them we're doing this because of affordances and various what i'm doing here is doing setting constraints to minimize the yeah i know <laughs> i know greg will but um he i think part of it is he's also the 
he, I don't think he talks about invariance that oft, often, but he'll talk about like control and structure and um, immobilize, like stuff like that. Because I, I think in that sense, I, I do agree Greg overuses some of the terms, first of all. So th uh, there's that. But sometimes there's a term that's actually um, you have to be really careful. So there's a book I recommend called The Language of Coaching. I, I don't know if you heard of that, but it basically talks about how important the word that you use while coaching is because it, um, what, uh, when you think about running, for example, it was an information they use kicking the floor versus, uh, think about running away from, from, uh, kicking the, telling the, per, uh, the person to push against or kick against the floor as fast as you could versus like, imagine there's a bear chasing you kind of thing. Those kind of <laughs> things impart different, um, things to different people. So mm -hmm. for example, the other day I was teaching Hizaguruma and um, I, this is how I remember Hizaguruma. I'm like, oh, you want to destroy the the knee mechanism. And everyone looked at me like, what? <laughs> destroy the knee? I'm like, wait, 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 let me rephrase that. Was what I no, said. No, they're looking at you for a mechanism, like mechanism. What mechanism? Yeah. So <laughs> I had to demonstrate what I mean. I was like, you want to make it so the knee can't do its job. Like basically stop the knee from hinging, basically was what I said. And I demonstrated by having someone kneeling one knee on the floor. So the floor is blocking the knee and you can't like lift it up. And then I turned the guy over. I'm like, that's basically how he's a groom is done. But if I just said, destroy the knee mechanism, okay, now go do it. Then people are going to kick the shit out of people's knees, right? So <laughs> do go get a baseball bat. No, they're going to come with a yeah. hammer. <laughs> yeah. Or also one, one good example is also the Gotti. People say you they call it a trip. You see, oh, look at that leg trip. Then that's what people are going to do. They're going to block the, block the leg, then push the guy over. That's if you describe also the Gotti as a leg trip, then that's going to be what happens. And um, another thing people do say is like kick the, the leg back, which is why people always kick it back and then it, it stays on the floor. So they do kind of like a really shitty Osoto Otoshi kind of thing. So I started using the word push instead. So push your leg backwards as high as you can. And that and we for really some people, the guy. we really confused so, the guy for some day, people. I, it didn't I was work. saying sweep yeah. all day and then he says push and people were just like, which one do I do? Yeah, <laughs> I but that's because that <laughs> he came from a different background versus um, you have to different people. Those words mean different things to different people. So you have to be able to have these set of terms that everyone uses, which is what I'm, I think Greg is trying to do. Um, is to have a, a one set of terms to make sure everyone's on the same page. So you're speaking the same language and you're learning the same stuff. And there's well, no ambiguity stuff, there. Which is about getting the, the language out there. And like I said, popularizing, just like with the UFC. Okay. Why is everybody use 10th planet terms now? Because Joe Rogan used 10th planet terms to describe everything that's happening in UFC. Okay. That's why it's, that's why it's called a twister instead of a rose petal or a boat or a, what do we, we call it? Um, did you say called rose? A rose, okay. Well, it was called a rose stem. I call it, we used to call it okay. rose petal. I call it, it used to be called a barbed wire pin back in the day, but because Joe calls it um, a twister because he's 10th planet. Now everyone calls it a twister. Okay. Now that DC is the main guy now, he uses a lot of wrestling terms. So he, now people are starting to use wrestling terms now instead of BJJ terms or judo terms. Like he'll, he'll do a judo throw and he like, um, what do you say? Uh, a wizard kick. He goes like, oh, look at that beautiful wizard kick right there. You're like, no. <laughs> and be like, no, no, that's a Haragoshi right there. He's tempting or a terrible Uchimata. Be like, no, no, be like, that wizard kick. It's all about who popularizes it. So he's trying to popularize these terms and some people like it, some people don't like it. Like, 
we're judo players. We see something happen in MMA or another sport and they call something totally different or another, or another martial arts thing. We're like, no, no, that's Uchimata. That's Haragoshi and stuff. But they'll call it a wizard kick instead because he's from a wrestling background. So it's about who's going to popularize these terms. And I think that um, the problem people don't like about these terms for the scientific method or ecological method is that it's too highbrow, I think, sometimes. And I'm not saying they need to dumb it down, but they need to make it more common. Okay, now you such like big high ground terms. Like some people don't like it when I use judo terms to describe judo things sometimes in class. I've had yeah. BJJ guys or other guys be like, but that's a this sensei. It's like, no, there's a judo class. I use judo terms. I'm not calling it Kimura. All right. I'm sorry. No matter how much you want me to, I'm not. So Christian, I I know you said um because yeah. So I know you said Greg was using overusing these terms, but uh, I think for most of the podcast interviews, he was talking to coaches and he's trying to get them to read these books and understand the same thing he understands. Have you watched that one video he uploaded of him running a beginner's class, a fundamentals class? I feel like a, a while ago. Um, yeah, but, I don't think yeah. I don't think he he still uses jargon, by the way, but he doesn't <laughs> use all the like he doesn't talk about the stuff we're talking about now. He basically talks about immobilizing their structure. I mean, it's kind of like saying, talking about frames and alignment and posts, like those yeah. are all, yeah. So I would, so for that, like you have, you know, Greg Saunders teaching jujitsu using the ecological approach on one side, and then you have sort of a similarly jargony, uh, you know, Rob Bernanke talking about frames, posture, mm -hmm. you know, base levers. Uh, I don't like, I don't like the, how he uses Kazushi by the way, but that's just me. So. So you kind of, both of them are using jargon, uh, but their approaches are very different. You have Rob definitely teaches in a, he, he has some aspects, you know, the FYJJ methods he uses to actually get people to, to do things. But, you know, he teaches in a sort of straightforward, you know, how we've all sort of learned way, but then you have on the other extreme, uh, if we can call it extreme, you know, the ecological approach where he doesn't really teach things per se. Yeah. Um, so we can talk about later about demonstrating techniques. Um, but um, yeah, I, I again, back to Rob Bernanke, Bernanke if he told, talked about Kuzushi to me, um, I would, to me, Kuzushi is something totally different. Um, Rob Bernanke's, uh, what do you call it? His definition of alignment is what I think of when he says Kuzushi. Um, but to, in his system, like Kazushi and alignment are two different things. Um, so that, again, that's why we have to talk about stuff on the same page and use the same terms and everything. Or even if you have different terms, like, like you have to be able to understand like, oh, okay, it, Rob's system, Kazushi is off balancing. Um, and then my, what my definition of, uh, Kuzushi is, is his definition of alignment. So, um, that's, uh. In some way, you can also argue Kazushi is like a, a term that is not really well defined and people misuse it all the time. So, right. Um, yeah. So that's, is there anything more about jargon you want to talk about or should we move on to the next thing? Let's move on. Yeah. What's what next? did we say? What's next we on bookmarked the list? On? Uh, bookmark, bookmark. Was it games or, or uh, situations? Oh, uh, no, I think I remember now. It was judo has been doing this the whole time. Like, yeah. Um, so like I, I already kind of touched upon it was basically how, yes, a lot of this stuff has been done for a long time. And um, 
the reason I know in the beginning you said I bought into this approach. Um, it's kind of like, no, it's yes and no kind of thing. Cause I always looked at Philippe's teaching and I always liked it. And mm -hmm. I asked him one day, I'm like, Hey, and this is before the ecological approach. This is just on skill acquisition that uh, stuff I've been science I've been reading. Cause I was trying to teach myself guitar. I was trying to learn the language. So I was looking doing research on skill acquisition. Cause I'm like, why did I take nine years of French and I can't speak French. And then my sisters just studied abroad for like six months and they're fluent, come back fluent in French. Um, why are some people able to teach themselves guitar and I'm still a little struggling kind of thing. Um, I'll go more into that, but Philippe has done a lot of this like reverse classroom model does the, um, some of the ecological stuff and constraints sled approach. He does some of that stuff. He does. And I'm like, did you read books about this? And, and he's like, no, it's just over time. Like uh, from experience to see what works and what doesn't. And I keep, and I build onto this experience. Um, so assuming let's assume that static uchikomi is, is scientifically proven to not work let's just assume that for a second then philippe is still doing that right then without the without the science saying proving that it doesn't work then everyone will keep doing it even though philippe has some of the stuff that works already he did have some stuff that didn't doesn't work well and that time spent doing static uchikomi could be used to do something else or maybe static uchikomi does work, but you have to change the constraints a little bit to make it more effective. Um, so that that's what I think about the whole doing it already kind of thing. It's kind of true. And we're just kind of like, I want to say, like polishing it up and uh, constantly improving it. Uh, another example I like to use is Bruce Lee. People like to point to Bruce Lee saying he revolutionized uh, training and bodybuilding. And... Yeah, at the time, a lot of stuff he did was considered unusual. But um, even nowadays, like stuff like periodization and all that stuff um, is considered the standard when back then, no way did that kind of stuff. And people took what Bruce Lee learned, uh, did, and also did a bunch of research and science behind it and says, okay, some of the stuff he did was completely bullshit and was dangerous, which is why he hurt, broke his back and stuff. But um, the other stuff that he did was also useful. So it, it's kind of the same, like progress is going to be continually be made. And maybe in the future, the some of the stuff that the current, what they're saying about ecological approach might be proven to not be effective and they're going to continually improve upon that. So this isn't like a end all be all of everything. So what do you think, Christian? So to go, I think a lot of these things come down to, you know, the, the big issue in judo is like tradition is judo uh you know a martial art or a traditional martial art or is it a sport what is the ultimate goal like is if it's a martial art is it a traditional martial art is it is it budo because you know the aikido people are all doing whatever they want regardless because they don't they all have different goals in mind or is it a sport in which case you know you can go down this like learning approach rabbit hole um so we walk in judo, we walk this fine line in Sambo. It can, you know, when I teach Sambo, I'm not really looking for is Haragoshi done the classical way for me is, is Haragoshi, uh, is, but what, uh, being done, you know, in a way that they can do the move for their body type. So I think a lot of this comes down to, you know, how you view your, your judo. So if you view your judo more as a martial art, 
Uchikomi is traditional, so you have to be good at Uchikomi because um, we've always done it this way. If you don't view it that way, like maybe Uchikomi is not a good thing because my goal is to go win the Olympics. Yep. yep. So, yeah. So one one of the one of the things of the traditional uh, IP approach is that they they assume in most cases like baseball or something they assume there's one perfect technique, one perfect way of doing certain things. But the, while the ecological way of seeing how there's no perfect one perfect technique, everyone's body type is different. You're, everyone's habits, movement habits are different. So there's no one particular way of doing it. Just like how um, when I did it, my Nagano Kata, I had a knee injury. So I had to do it slightly different. And also if my partner is super heavy, then I either have to adjust my grip or my partner just going to have to jump a little bit for me. So those, that's like, <laughs> those are the the variables, right? So mm -hmm. there is no one perfect technique. And the whole idea of how the Uchikomi should look a certain way kind of thing is, I think, um, not very uh, helpful. Um, uh, one other example, like I, I visited another club and when we we're doing moving Uchikomis, they said my arm needs to be pulled up higher like the traditional japanese way and that way of training is actually how i think i sprained my have long-term problems with my shoulder because I, I i always looked at how japanese do it and copied it ever since then i've done uh i've mentioned how i've done thousands and thousands of uchikomis for uchimata that's a that's the th technique i've spent the most time on but i I'm, i suck the most at out of all the other mm. techniques that I, I do in randori um and that's just from overuse and i was pulling it the regular way that i do it in a fight in a randori and you're like put your put your arm up higher put your arm up higher so i was i didn't say anything i just kept doing it but then my shoulder hurt um and one of the things that the ecological approach talks about is the variability actually prevents injury and from overuse because your body's gonna um, adjust for itself to prevent whatever is inefficient or hurts or whatever. So every single pull is going to be slightly different. But if you're forcing your body to always pull at this same exact angle and and height and range, then repeating the same movement, you're going to get overuse and it's going to uh, create injuries. And that's seen in baseball all the time from uh, pitchers. Basically, they've done studies on it. Um, so that's... Uh, my, my personal experience with the whole one one correct technique thing and uh, repeating the same Uchikomi thousands times exactly kind of thing. So do, do you have anything to add before I talk more about Because I feel like I'm the one talking more. <laughs> yeah. I, I, if I may. Uh, so I think this kind of gets to their, the, the, what do they call it? Degeneracy. So, mm -hmm. um, so in, in non-jargon terms for degeneracy, you have this idea that, uh, so like if you are a blacksmith, your swing is not all the same. If all of us are blacksmiths, all our swings are not going to be the same. So should we go so we talk the about same... the, should we talk about the, the blacksmith study they did first that started this whole thing? Uh, I don't think you need to talk about the okay. study, but, uh, all right, all right. <laughs> so yeah, there is a study for that. Um, but the, the idea is, you know, you have the same, the same output, the same thing that's, that's being done, uh, but you're doing it all in sort of different ways. So if we think about this, uh, if you can think about this in terms of a judo way, you know, they say that, you know, different structures are sort of interchangeable. You could do this in a judo way, 
maybe before the leg grab ban. So Uchimata, the inner thigh throw, can be done with the leg, or you can do it with your hand. So there's like the hand Uchimata, same with the Tayo. You can do a Tayo with, you know, sort of blocking with your leg, foot yeah. and leg, or you can do the hand Tayo. So there's old videos of, uh, you know, going in for uh, Seo and then blocking their far leg with your hand. So I would call that sort of the, the hand Tayo. So you have the same the same output, so it's sort of the same mechanism of uh, Tayo Toshi or Uchimata, just you're not using your arm or you're not using your leg, you're using your arm. So that's sort of what I think uh, Anthony was talking about just now. So this idea of degeneracy. Yeah. Um, the, to, briefly, I'm going to talk about that blacksmith thing, right? And also the other studies associated with it. Uh, it what caused this, I guess, field to be studied is because they studied uh, expert blacksmiths and um, novice, like apprentice blacksmiths, and they track their hand movements and novice blacksmith, uh, there's very little variability in how they swing the hammer down and expert blacksmiths. There's tons of variability, like the, the way they swing, each swing is like really, really different. And that kind of shows that you get good at blacksmithing, not by for focusing, repeat training your arm to repeat the same exact movements. What really matters in the end is where you hit the, the spot right where you hit the on the store on the store it doesn't matter how you swing and they did the similar studies for um uh what do you call it it's tennis volleyball baseball they studied their swings and serves and um kicks whatever for a sport and the experts always had huge variabilities in how they they strike or hit or do whatever while the novices are very um, the, the variabilities are really small and that kind of shows that in reality, when you, you play a game or whatever, there's huge variabilities and you, you, you're, you need to be able to, um, have that adapt to that wide range of variability of situations basically, and not just be able to only do that one small thing. And that's what experts do. So anything you want to add? I, I, I kind of want to talk about the whole, uh, well, the Japanese do it. The ex experts say this kind of thing. Like mm -hmm. next, if you don't have anything to add, to me, I just want to uh, say one thing with this is this that um, it's with anything. There's going to be very, I guess, variants. You want to use their jargon and stuff, but it's about um, figure out what works for you. And that's one thing that I teach in my class a lot about what works for you with the throw. And I think it's one thing where I'm a little bit more open. Where I, again, because I've been growing with the way I grew up was like the best. The way you get better is by actually doing it. I also understand there's more than one way to do it, at least when it comes to grappling, when it comes to striking and kicking and stuff, there's only a few ways to do it. There's not a whole lot of ways I can do different type of roundhouse kicks and stuff, but especially when it comes to throws is like the way you teach like Ogoshi is that you really want to block the hip always. But then some people like doing like the time and a quarter throw that Fleet likes to do a lot where your hip is really far. Some people are more better at Ukigoshi than they are Ogoshi, but they're getting that placement right there. But it's one thing I always tell people is like, you're going to figure out what works best for you and your body. And that's why like we teach a standard version first. And this work gets into the doing regular Chikomis. You figure out you, how do I play? How do I, okay. So what I always say is like, I like to build the house and then I like to furnish it. Okay. I want you to get to do the move and then I'm going to polish it up from there. That's what I want from you. And so, I know yeah. other senseis aren't like that. Senseis want you to do it like that perfect way from the beginning. 
Whereas me, and I think that's where similar to this ecological approach, like I want to build this house and then I'll furnish it. Okay. I want you to get the throw and then I'll help you figure out what we're going to need to get it, to get it better. What works so better for this you. This is where, body. this is where I kind of agree. Like, um, and my, where I, I don't agree with that. Don't totally show technique kind of thing. Um, I would tell them that you, so we used to talk about the traditional way of doing it. For me, the traditional way is the invariance we're talking about, right? The stuff that mm -hmm. makes the technique work. Like hip has to be below whatever, hand has to be here, uh, leg has to be behind certain place. So Osota Gari, the invariant is your leg has to be behind the other guy's leg, right? You can't do Osota Gari from the front, which is leg in front of the other guy. So the traditional technique, which to me are a version of the technique that has that fulfills the invariance for me right now. So I don't care, for example, where the hand is. How, there's so many ways of doing the hand part, the arm movements for uh, Osotogari. Like there's some traditional ways where you pull it out and check your watch kind of thing. Um, recently, more and more people I've seen are teaching to pull your the arm down to the belt that way. Um, I don't care. I just care you fulfill the rest of the criteria. And to me, that's what I started on. And I think the problem where the disagreement comes with the other, with the two approaches is how long should you spend on that version of doing that? And for me, it's like, as long as you get those invariants correct, then I would start having you do the the ones with resistance and adding in um, all that kind of constraints and stuff. Instead of do this until you can do it perfectly, then go do moving Uchikomi, then you do Randori kind of thing. I think that's like a, a, a inefficient way of going about it. Um, so that's where I'm kind of in the middle ground and I'm not like, yeah, Uchikomi is useless. A traditional static uh, Nagikomi is useless too. Go full ecological approach. And I'm also not full ecological approach either. And uh, I mean, information processing and stuff. Yeah. Mm. Christian raised his hand. <laughs> yeah, I did raise my hand. Uh, so I'm curious. This got me thinking. Uh, I'm curious to see how you folks think about the moves. Like, uh, like I've seen... Like there's there's sort of the like the mechanism of the throw, how the throw kind of goes. So it's if, if we talk about Osotogari, for example, like you're behind somebody, you're like at a 45, leg to leg, sweep through. For me, the Osotogari is sort of the mechanism of the sweep through uh, or the push through. Um, so you, if you've ever seen Chris Round do his knee Osotogari from left on right or right on left, I have not um, seen it. Or if you've ever seen, I think Travis Stevens has shown going for like a Kosodo leg hook and then finishing with a mechanism very similar to Osoto mm -hmm. instead of this normal, like, you know, kind of push them over with your body weight, uh, like Kosodo. So for me, when describing these other techniques, I would call it as knee Osoto or, uh, you know, leg hook Osoto, um, which that one's kind of confusing because a Kosodo is supposed to have a sort of similar motion to an Osoto. And it's quite the name, but um, yeah, you can sort of break it down, not just by the sort of position where you're at, but by the mechanism. That's kind of how I see it. I'm curious for uh, what do you folks think? I, I agree. I I teach my, I, I'm trying to see what I can say and can't say. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I agree. Um, and I teach my class, I, I really emphasize to my students once every once in a while, not every day, but one, once in a while, I remind them like, I teach, I use the techniques to teach concepts. I don't 
expect you to um, remember the steps. Like I, for example, I almost never ever teach entry. Like first step here, second step here, then you get into Sukurian and Kake. Like, and then I never do it like that. I, for example, Sewe Nage, I'm like, I don't care how you do it. You're, you just need to control the shoulder. I said, you controlled your uke shoulder and then you load them on your back. Then you throw them off your back. Like, like you have, um, someone pay, you're piggy, giving someone a piggyback ride, but you don't have like the traditional piggyback ride grip, basically. Then you just throw them off the shoulder. I don't care how you enter. Like, that's just the main, that's the concept I want you to learn. And then people figure out, even if they have never, uh, been taught sailing again before they figure out the entry eventually by themselves um they just n know they have to get into that that position and then for the the game that i developed for no, i didn't develop i just came up with it i guess maybe someone else does it <laughs> for for sailing is uh by the way ipon sailing and more to is different i use different things um for sailing ipon is i have them start with the 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 ipon sailing grip and then I, the, the Uke's job is to just stay standing, not get thrown, no stiff arm or anything, just stay standing, like hip out basically think kind of thing and move around in a circle. And then the Tori's job is to control the shoulder and throw them off their back because they're already in that position. They don't have to worry about the entry. And then once they're able to do that, I have them start with, um, Kenkaiyotsu grip, like uh, left versus right. And the, the Uke's one grip is stiff armed. So now they have to figure out how to get in there by themselves. So they, they know now they know what the feeling should be like if they get in and throw, but how now they got to figure out how do I get into that position now from this grip? And, um, obviously it's not a perfect way. I'm sure there's, I, I need to come up with more ways and that's just one throw, you know? So I, for throws, I still haven't come up with solutions yet to do it. Um, the main problem is, I'm dealing with beginners, so there's no way of doing it safely. Certain things, Kayatoshi still teaches ma mainly the traditional way, and I'm recently starting an experiment with um, a one-handed tile um, kind of game. But um, there are certain throws I would, that, for example, if you had me teach Haragoshi, I'd still have no idea how I would do that with a constraint slide approach to beginners that have never done Haragoshi before. Uh, which would lead to our other topic about Ukemi, because. <laughs> Um, do you have anything to add to that? Does that answer your question? And Juan didn't get his chance to answer about oh, the concept yet. Oh God, my, <sighs> I would say the one thing that I do, like I don't do as much games as Anthony does with that kind of stuff. What I do more is I try to give people, um, like I said, like I try to build the house and then we try to polish it up, but I try to give people visual ideas of what to do. Like we were talking about Osotogari. Okay. And I tell them like, you have to step equal or past them. So remember that you gotta step equal or past them to always teach that too. I'm not teaching you like you, I'm not like, you gotta step over here. Like I always remember equal or past. So you gotta remember I'd be equal. So I've gotta be next to them or past them, which I try to give a little visualization. And a lot of people focus on the legs a whole lot. So they got to just sweep the legs, sweep the legs, sweep the leg. So you don't use the arm or shoulder. And I tell you, no, you gotta glue that shoulder to them. But what I say, and this makes people laugh is I'm like, does anybody here watch pro wrestling? Cause I'm a big Mark. So when you got them in this grip right here, you gotta clothesline them. You gotta give them a short arm clothesline to get them down. And some people are like, oh, because most people have seen a clothesline. Everybody watched Hogan or The Rock or Austin give a clothesline. So they know what a clothesline looks like. So if I hold the gi here and I clothesline them as I sweep them, that's going to put them down. So that's kind of one thing that I do a lot. I give a lot of people a lot of um, goofy, visualized things. Some people think it's stupid. Some people think it's good. But that's 
but that's what I do a lot. And it helps people. Some people say they really appreciate it. Some people don't. But to me, I always think that helped me out with certain things, you know? Mm-hmm. Like when um, people have problems learning moves, learn certain moves like uh, Tatashio Gotame. I say, remember Tatashio as top mount. Tatashio top mount, okay? So I always try to give people visualize of things to think about that way when I teach stuff. So I'm not much for games. I'm more about like giving you ideas of what you're doing. I'm not telling people to destroy the leg and knee <laughs> just sweep it out <laughs> like <laughs> yeah the so that's that's what you're doing is basically the part of the information you're giving the information like clothesline them to get them to do this versus mm-hmm. the ecological approach would be like i don't care how you do it just get them off balance this way chest and chest maintain chest connection then clothesline is one way of doing it but what happens if they control that arm via grip fighting then they can't clothesline then they have to figure out some other way of doing it. And that, that's the point of the game is they have to come up with a, their own solution to do that. And if clothesline is part of it, then then do it. And mm-hmm. someone someone has to have, just like Greg says, someone has to have figured out, oh, I can clothesline them once upon a time, right? But just tell... <laughs> if that, I sweep the leg and clothesline at the same time, it's be much easier to take them down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, do you have a I problem still, with that, Anthony? Do you have a yeah, problem with that, sir? <laughs> I still prescribe... <laughs> I still prescribe these kind of movements. Christian, do you have a problem with that? <laughs> I'd say sport. Sport, yeah. sport. I I personally still prescribe some of these stuff, but I don't do it straight off the bat. Does, does that make sense? I yes, I know. Yeah, I, I make I've them play the game, and Christian then I has see it. he hasn't seen you teach. Yeah. <laughs> I make them play the game, and then they're struggling or they keep repeating the same mistakes. I'm like, you know, these are some solutions. Like you can do a double sleeve grip and then push the arm across one, or you can clothesline them. Um, break the grip first like there's all these different solutions because people don't always think outside the box and sometimes i I think these things are um uh these little push nudges it's like oh yeah right i can do that but i'm not going to demonstrate it uh a billion times and have them drill it and and because then if they're drilling that one situation over and over again then now they're just preparing for that one situation instead of um whatever happens um uh, I see you raise your hand, but let me finish this thought before I forget. Because <laughs> personally, um, when I was learning uh, Tayatoshi, right now, I find myself a lot in a left versus right situation somehow versus, via grip fighting. I don't know how. I'm fighting a righty, but I always somehow, even in tournaments, end up in a left versus right grip situation. So I just started training Tayatoshi left versus right. Like I start working on that throw because I somehow end up like that but if i were to get prescribed that motion yeah if i were to prescribe that motion to myself i'd be like okay most of the people i'm fighting are righty so i'm just going to f- practice right on right tai toshi then that's where the information processing model doesn't work because in reality the, the sparring the fights everything the, what happens is a left versus right situation so yeah go ahead Tristan. so i would say what uh anthony here is talking about is a he is doing his teaching in that ecological approach style. So versus I think Juan and I kind of will take elements of it, but still retain some of the, uh, what, what Anthony would call the IP way, the, uh, you know, the old way, the, I forget what the term is, the information processing, information processing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, The the old way. Um, (laughs) so, you know, you have that, that, that's an example of doing that. And, Based on the like the all these terms, why he's doing that, in my opinion, is through these terms is you know 
getting them to do this is uh, will give them more creativity. So when you look into the discussions of why this model works is sort of the creativity and you have people like you have all of these, if you end up in a position to do Osotogari, there's, there's all these possibilities, but if, if you sort of do it the old way and you're only exposed to, you know, the traditional way, you will, might never think outside the box. So this yeah, is a, exactly. this is a way of getting people to be more creative. I, I do think that it's, it's good, but I think there's definitely caveats. So yeah, uh, I like wouldn't say was I, saying safety for yeah. some throws. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say I went much easier on the ground. ground. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely much easier on the ground. That's something we needed to bring up and um, break faults. <laughs> yeah, I I fully I don't want to say I fully went. What you said, you guys do is what I think I'm also doing, but I I think our percentage of wise is like where it's different, you know. So I think I'm more like eighty twenty, while you guys are probably like forty sixty. I never watched Christian teach, but I think what Juan teaches is like forty sixty the other way. Um. But yeah, I think you hit the, the nail on the head. Like if you're only, you know how you go to seminars and people show their way of doing like certain things kind of thing. And that's what you're paying for. Like if you learn the traditional way and you go to seminars and you learn like, oh, Travis Stevens way of doing seminar or whatever, then you, let's say you have four ways of doing this one technique. Then within Rondori, those four situations better pop up. Otherwise you're just waiting for that situation to come up or, or you have to do some other, some other throw. Versus if you learn the, 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 the idea behind the ecological way is if you learn this way, then you learn to adapt to, um, any situation, anything that remotely allows you to get into that situation, you would be able to do it basically versus I, I saw at the tournament this, um, this time, like there were so many times where people could have done certain throws, but it didn't enter because they were waiting for that one perfect because because you can see it you can totally see it they're waiting for the uke to move into a position that looks like the traditional static nagakomi uchikomi kind of stance or situation before they attacked versus just like like you said clotheslining them or like pushing the arm across the face or doing a combination to, to or move them in a circle before you do that technique like you don't see any of that because they were never trained that way they didn't have I to just, figure it out no, they were just he, he's talking about the juniors division he's talking about the kids it's All it's right. actually the um I, I I will say it's actually the black belt heavyweight uh, open weight division that I'm talking about. Was it? Yeah, it was. Like you can see the guy still won, but I was like, um, I'm trying to remember the what he did, but it was there was plenty of situations where he had the dominant grip with the over the back grip, and he could have done also the guys in so many ways, but he waited for like the perfect situation to do it. And one of the interviews that Travis Stevens did with uh, in a podcast called a BJJ podcast called Main Idea, uh, M A Y N, he talks about briefly this particular part, which I think was was also what I think builds and was why I talk about how experiences from coaching you kind of start figuring this stuff out. He's like, I rather my athlete lose and not score a point, and trying to attack when he sees the situation arise. Uh, the opening arise versus waiting for that perfect situation to arise and scoring and winning. He said he'd be, I'd be upset if they waited this whole time for that perfect scenario to attack. Cause he says, you're not getting better at that point. Cause if you fight someone that doesn't ever give you that situation, you're then you're going to lose. Um, so that's, uh, that's what I, 
I, I thought about that, but yeah, that's, that's the whole main idea. Well, main idea podcast <laughs> behind, behind <laughs> that, uh, that kind of learning. All right. So the next one you guys want to talk about was like uh, going to Ukemi's or learning yeah. how to fall at least. So with this one, um, me and Anthony kind of have the same approach on this one because, well, we, so at least with me, I like to teach them like how to do basic falls first, but I kind of just, as soon as they learn how to do like the basic falls, I kind of toss them into the deep end immediately to get them actually used to falling. And I don't know if this is ecological or not, like Anthony, you can tell me if it is, but like one of the things I have them do is that instead of just doing regular, like I'll have them warm up, but just back ukemis. Okay. Just rolling to their butt to the back. I'll do some warms like that. But then when I have them actually do stuff, I'm going to have one partner in um, all fours uh, or in a referee stance right there. And that person is sit down and let, let's fall backwards to get used to it. For forward ukemis, we'll do a few warm up, just regular forward ukemis, but then I'll have, their, have them partner up one in all fours, a referee's position, and do forward ukemi over the person two or three times, forward ukemi over. So they're not getting that thing of they're being scared of hitting the mat. They're already going to hit the mat and they're giving an obstacle to um, go over something. And then when my side ukemis, I do um, have them hold each other. You know, like they do the Ashiwaza drill, you just sweep, 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 sweep. Well, instead of having a sweep, I'll have them walk one, two, three, and then you're going to take the fall. You know, sweep your leg up and take the fall. So they get used to this whole falling. So I, I kind of teach them the basics. I kind of like ease them into it with some warm ups, And then it's like, all right, get your butt out there and go fall, you know? And another one that we do that's, um, I don't do that often, but the whole one where they, um, it's like the trust fall, you know? Someone will be mm-hmm. leaning back on somebody else. You push, 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 push. You don't know when you're going to fall. And then they're going to let you go. And you have to do it back to me from a higher position. From a higher, um, yeah, just from, a, from pretty much standing almost or leaning backwards. So these are kind of things that I don't see that much done in other classes, but we do it. And I actually got this from one of our, um, one of our European members a long time ago, uh, Brechia. She's, yep. she was from, um, Germany. Uh, no, no. She taught, everyone thinks that she, ger- she Hungary? taught German. No, no. Uh, orange. What's the um, orange uh, Denmark. Yeah. Denmark. <laughs> she's from there. And this is something they did there. She used to say, so when she taught classes to warm, she would always do this. I thought this is a great way to get people used to it. So then when I started teaching beginners, I brought this in with, I brought this in with me. So you're going to first learn how to fall a little bit, but I kind of toss you in deep end fast. So you actually know how to do this. You actually get the real feeling of it. Now, would this be ecological in your guys' opinion? Um, I'll, I want to ha- let Christian uh, touch on this first, but I do want to put a preface on it is that there was a podcast posted on Reddit by someone, I think it was combat learning podcast. Was it where he interviewed um, this British fifth Don guy called Caleb, uh, I forgot his name. Um, but he touches upon this and he says, uh, basically he doesn't teach you Kimmy, I think is what he said. And that's dangerous. I know I, that's, I, I agree. And um, I agree. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I kind of had this, uh, had had the discussion with him. I don't know, not with him. I had this discussion with someone else. With the not him, the the guy who interviewed um that ran the podcast. And basically we didn't we didn't agree, but we had a a, a good discussion. It was posted in Reddit. So you and you want to dig around and find it. It's there. Um but he yeah he basically said like oh what you what you're saying is not right like blah blah blah. I'm like yeah I know scientifically it's not right but I'm worried about someone breaking their arm like and I found a podcast episode that Caleb interviewed for from two years ago. And he basically addressed all the points of concerns I had and basically said, 
he didn't come up with a better way for it. He hasn't figured it out yet. So he, same as me with Hayatoshi and stuff, like certain things, he hasn't found a way to do it yet safely. So he went back to the traditional approach for now. So I think Ukemi is one of those things, but um, the main idea is that the traditional way of teaching Ukemi um, and also like the less traditional way, which is what one was talking about, they all are decoupled from the actual um, act of taking a fall in Rondori. Let's just start, not, not even talking about competition, just Rondori. And even the hard Nagikomi, it's decoupled. So um, I have seen that over the years. So um, let's start with Christian. Christian, I, I'm, before I go <laughs> take over, you can yeah. talk. So I, I would say that uh, for me, a lot of Ukemi, so this might be controversial, but a lot of Ukemi, I think, is developing your aerial awareness. So why we continuously do, in my opinion, why we do, you know, uh, Ushiro Ukemi, back Ukemi, uh, Gyoko Ukemi, side breakfalls, back and side breakfalls. For me, back breakfalls, worst case scenario. If you, you know, a lot of almost all, you know, turning throws will land you on the side. And, you know, why we slap the mat, this is where the controversy comes in. For me, you know, I tell the, I tow the line when I tell the beginner, like, oh, you're going to distribute the forest when you hit. But I don't actually believe that uh, really. Like you, some, you, don't, you don't distribute uh, the forest, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so for me, it's like you have to get in your muscle memory to tuck your arms and not post your arms back. That's the main thing, uh, in my opinion. It's like, don't break your arms. So if I knew, if I see people like posting on their elbow, on their elbow or putting their arm in a weird position, I'm like, don't do that. You have to fix that. Go do it some more times. So just get the muscle memory of, you know, landing in this safe position, their chin is tucked, their arms are in, uh, maybe they're slapping the mat on like for a side break fall. Um, so that's where I think it's, you know, it's key to do this. The other stuff I think is, you know, you develop your aerial awareness and I think your aerial awareness will transfer over to your, you know, your fighting skills, your actual randori breakfalls. Like, you know, I never practiced, I slipped on ice a few years ago and I rotated in air because my feet went above my head and I rotated in air, landed and did like a front fall almost. I was fine. So I never practiced like going like uh, head over heels uh, or heels overhead and then spinning in air to land on my front, like maybe a few times for like a Yoko Tomonage like counter. But uh, I think just the aerial awareness, I was like in a bad spot, kind of automatic instinct was to turn onto the front and it seemed good versus like most people's natural instinct is to probably post their hands. And that's, that's a dangerous thing to do. And that's why I think you shouldn't do like a full ecological approach to break falling. Like, you know, Greg Saunders in that uh, podcast you shared. Yeah, so Juan I, and I, I, I totally yeah, disagree with that. But even for his, his point, he's like, Oh, you see, you don't see high level judokas break falling. And I was like, because their goals are different. So high level judokas are trying not to get scored on. Uh, so you'll see high-level judokas break their arms. Like we had that what this month, <laughs> yeah, last month. It happens the, pretty often. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it broke their arm. So the so, goal yeah. is not is not the same. And like you see dangerous throws like Taitoshi where your knee is not bent to the ground. And people <laughs> saw the guy break his leg in one of the world tour uh, videos. I posted so, it on my uh, Instagram. I still have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. The goals are different for that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the goals are different. People also forget that Greg is like 
he's like, if you're not here to be competitive, like you're welcome to train with us, but otherwise get out. He got rid of his, his kids program. He got rid of his gi program. Cause I, I messaged him about it. I'm like, why did you get rid of the gi? And he was like, the gi adds too much variability. There's too many variables are added. And it's hard to do, it's basically really hard to do this approach with the gi on. And ever since I tried doing it, I understood what he meant because it <laughs> definitely adds a lot of variability and it's really, really difficult. Um, but so he's basically like, yeah, you better be ready to take a hard fall, blah, blah, blah. But also you got to remember um, jujitsu doesn't have that many high impact throws. And even if you there are, you're not you get doing it the way that... <laughs> Yeah, and you're all not you're not doing it at the same um what do you call it um output as judo where you take like 100 200 falls a yeah. night. That's, and and if you look at even high high level competitive judoka a lot of them slap the mat during nagikomi training because they have to take that the, you can't just not slap. But then during randori that's when they don't slap the mat. That's cuz they're training for competition and not slapping the mat. Um I had some visitors do visitors do that and the last visitor that was um Israeli, the Israeli mom that brought the kid. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. He got hurt because he, I, I didn't land on top of him. I just pushed him down and he spun out of him and landed on Anthony his shoulder. Was mean. Anthony was picking on this kid. <laughs> he was like picking him up. He got him like, you gave him like a Udenage one time and stuff. Then he got him a Tomonage. It was, it was just, just beating this kid up. It was so sad to watch. Yeah, go, go ahead. But it, uh, I want to say, I just want to say one thing real quick. One people that people one thing that people forget or don't know when they're not judo players is that we're like that old school Chinese mentality, like iron body technique. You know, we are that, you know, when you get thrown on your back, side, front, like thousands of times a class every day, three to four times a week, we build iron bodies. That's where you get the thing where people see judo and like, oh, look at that big throw. And like they'll watch an IGF man. Like, look at that huge throw. Everybody's like, oh my God, huge throw. And the guy gets up like, oh, it can't be that bad. Look at that huge throw he took. He he, he got up from that. He can't, he'd be all right. Judo doesn't work. It's not a good. I like to see you take that throw, okay? We've been doing this for years to develop this in our bodies and get used to it. And to go from what the one guy was saying about like, you don't need to learn how to fall. I get that because he probably, I'm just going to say, I don't know for sure, but it sounds like a wrestler because when you go up wrestling or when you first learn how to wrestle, all they tell you is don't put your arms back, take the fall and try to land in your belly. That's like, and that, that's literally the ecological approach. To, that is <laughs> to all learn. you're told when you're first learning how to wrestle. You get double leg. It's just don't put your arms back. When you're practicing double leg as a kid, it was like when they're double legging, you pick you up, don't put your arms back. Don't put your arms back. Don't put your arm down. Don't put your arms back. Don't put your arms down. Just take the fall, try to land on your belly. Try to land on your belly, turn over. So you never learn break falls in wrestling. You just learn how to take it, you know? And if you're not, and it's one thing to be taking a double leg or even a really good double leg or something. It's one thing to take that. It's a different thing to be taking a huge uchimata or a huge stand-up katagruma, which they don't do that. And like when we talk about the fireman's carry, you don't have huge judo style fireman's carries in wrestling. Okay. It's usually on your knees. So the impact that we take from judo is way worse. And I've done all kinds of grappling in my life. Yeah, before, you know? before Christian continues, I do want to say, yeah, you're right. And even, even for wrestling, you got to remember the rule sets does, doesn't say anything about the impact of the fall versus traditional judo. The, the old school Ipon, old school standards for Ipon is you have to throw the guy with force. Otherwise yeah. you don't get the score. So, um, yeah. So that's just one thing that I think people don't realize, like how much body armor we build in doing judo for judo. Okay. People don't get how much we can take. All right. So go ahead, Christian, take it away. 
No, I would say, uh, I would agree with you, Juan. Like I, I did freestyle wrestling uh, at my university here. And uh, I always thought it was weird that they didn't teach like all these freshman guys come on and they're like, okay, I want to wrestle. Never wrestled before. Uh, and then you have all the like guys who did it all throughout high school and they're like off doing their own thing. I'm like, well, you're not going to teach these guys how to, how to fall. <laughs> I was like, okay. Uh, I think maybe, you know, since it's wrestling is a lot more focused on scoring for like double singles, it's a little bit lower impact. Uh, your throw is not rotational, like big high impact, uh, like big, uh, falling distance. So I think it might be different, but I was still like freestyle wrestling. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It was pretty weird for me coming from a judo background to go into that room and be like, Oh, they don't teach break falls. Um, yeah. but what I wanted to say was for Greg's, uh, thing, he's like, his approach is so sport sportive that he says that you shouldn't, shouldn't like let go of your partner when you take a fall. Uh, he's like, you shouldn't lose your hands. I was like, that's, that's, pretty that's crazy. how you get hurt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, there might be, uh, an opportunity where you, you know, someone does a category on you and they're going to like spike you head first and you might want to put your hand above your head and like, <laughs> make sure you don't spike your head. You go onto your shoulder instead. That's how I do the take a drop sailway too. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely put your hand in front of your head. Don't just hang on to the person and be like, I'm going to armbar them on the way down. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I also mentioned it before how I visited a BJJ club one time while I was traveling and I came in early and watched their wrestling class taught by a wrestler and it was a kid's wrestling class and I just saw the kid's head bouncing off the mat all class long and one particular kid got um, high seed, is that what you call it? Like a tegaruma? And he landed pretty hard and he's like on the floor, like rubbing his head, clearly concussed, right? <laughs> the instructor didn't say anything. And it was shortly after the class ended and then he was like, guys, wrestling is a combat sport. You got to be able to tell the difference between the ouchie and getting injured. No, I'm just it is an owie and an, every wrestling coach says this. There's a difference between an owie and an injury. An yeah. owie, you can fight through. An injury, you need to go to the hospital. All right. Yep. So what is it? Is it an owie or an injury? Yes. So all right. I my was, entire life hearing yeah. that. Okay. So technically he is right, but at the same time, like, man, these kids are heads <laughs> are bouncing like, what off. What the hell? How do you pro wrestling? <laughs> these kids' heads are bouncing off the floor. Imagine they do that like um like two times a week yeah. for like years. Like if he dies, he dies. <laughs> yeah. So I think there's a better way. But um yeah, but Back to what what I think about Ukemi. Uh, I <laughs> back to the, what, what I was going to say about Ukemi was um, I used to teach the traditional way and then the less traditional way, like we doing the same stuff that Juan said. But I real I started seeing in both kids and adults class that it does not transfer over to Rondori. Like when they get thrown, they still stick their arms out. They still don't tuck their head in and all that kind of stuff. Kids, you have to, it's harder because you got to be able to tell whether it's the lack of motor function from being young versus adults, which is like freaking out. So I saw the common pattern on uh, adults being that people that are afraid to fall tend to stick their arms out. Um, even people who can do the, the ukemi drills perfectly, they'll still stick their arms out if they're afraid to fall. So I realized the common thread in that is that the fear of falling is what is causing that. So I'm trying to, I, I, what I started to do is recreate that fear, not in, in the drills. 
Is that recreate that sword? Fear. He puts a mask on. He runs after them. <laughs> <laughs> no. So the, the the fear I'm talking about is the loss of control, because oh. in a lot of these traditional, um, I'm not uh, traditional. I don't mean like laying on the back and slapping the mat, but hundred times. I'm talking about like uh, forward rolling, Kemi, the walking forward and sli- sliding to the side, kind of fall, um, jumping backwards, all that kind of things. Like there's no fear because you know what is coming. You know you're about to do it. You jump into it. You brace and you slap, and you and then it, it sucks at first, and then it sucks less over time. Um, that that doesn't recreate that fear. And I started noticing when I taught the forward break fall, the one where you um like jump up and go forward, especially if you do it slow where you tilt them over, it recreates that fear and people stick their hands out in front of them. So I've been starting to use that to, to teach um, the, the why you, you want to recreate that fear. Cause when you teach that forward break fall, so many people jump into the, the forward fall. While if I tell them to sit up high on their knees, not bent over, and then I push them over. Um, it recreates that fear. I tell them to stay upright as long as possible, and I push them over slowly. It recreates that fear, just like going up a roller coaster. You know that mo- at the peak, like the moment before it drops, you, you look down and you get that fear for that split second. For me, that is what is coupled tightly with Rondori and Shi levels of um, of throws. Because otherwise, like I said. You do those drills. Even I think the closest one that Juan said that, that recreates that fear is the the backwards uh, trust fall drill. It, if you do it correctly, but a lot of the people don't do it correctly because they sit down first. Like they sit down or they kind scared. of don't yeah. lean back enough, kind of thing. Like um, so, it doesn't recreate that fear for people if they don't do it correctly. Um, so uh, for me, that's how. Uh, um, the ecological approach comes in now I haven't found a perfect way of doing it yet, but um, I, I did do some break fall drills where you have to roll across someone's uh, back to slap that kind of does it. You have to start off low because if the fear is too high, then people go into self-defense mode mechanism and that's when they tighten and brace, jump into the throw, stick their hands out, all that kind of stuff. So you have to like start off at a low intensity, low altitude throw and slowly build up um, that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, there's plenty of games for that, but back to what Caleb said from that podcast interview, his idea is you want to bet, get thrown just at a slower, more controlled altitude. And that is the, I, I totally agree. That's the best way of learning is just have someone throw you. But in a beginner's class, I don't have 10, one black belt for each person <laughs> to throw, you know, and the black belt also might not have the ability to adjust and control their speed because people like Philippe and uh, Eric in our class, they're good judokas, but they only have one speed. <laughs> like all the highly competitive judokas, it's either slow for demonstration or it's full speed competition level. So you have to be able to adjust the intensity for that, um, for, for this to work, which is why I'm, I'm trying to come up with different, um, yeah, like your, like your instructor. <laughs> I'm trying to come up with these like drills and games to slowly increase that intensity and recreate that fear. And I'm also trying to tell people why they don't want to do it fast because that's something that they have to... A lot of people like to jump into throws and I tell them you can't jump into it. I want you to do it slow so you get used to... Like, for example, the forward ukemi, the rolling forward ukemi, my uh, Zenpo Kaiten. Um, 
people jump into it and often do a front flip kind of thing. I'm like, no, you have to reach out forward like you're reaching for something and then get used to the act, the feeling of falling and then rolling as you're falling. You're not jumping into a forward roll. That's not, we're not doing like a Hollywood explosion, jump forward away from the explosion in the background and roll kind of thing. Cause that there's no fear. The fear is the explosion in the background, but there's no, there's no actual fear need, of the loss of control. More there. explosion in the background. That's what we need. Like Power Rangers explosion <laughs> in the background. That's what we need. Right. Okay. I'll, I'll bring it up in the next dojo <laughs> meeting and then we're going to buy some C4. Okay. Um, so Christian, but, how do you teach, how do you teach your forward or how do you teach your chemistry in your class? So I started doing, uh, I found for cause my Sambo class, uh, it was supposed to be, you know, the third day for the university judo class. So the university judo class runs twice a week. Uh, and they used to have a third day, but you know, over the years they lost the third day. Um, so, and there was the, at the university, there was uh, one of my instructors at the university used to be part of the Sambo club, but that was in like the early 2000s and nineties. So I recreated the, the club and we do Sambo once a week. So it's like the third day for judo, just under the Sambo name and Sambo rules. Uh, so I found, cause I'm getting judo people who know some stuff, some know less, some know more, but I'm also getting, you know, brand new be beginners who are only practicing once a week. So I kind of had to step down things more than I anticipated. So mm -hmm. what we, what we do for breakfalls at the, in the judo, it's like even more beginner than that. So usually I start, you know, like you make a big circle and just like sit on your butt and just get used to slapping the mat, you know, back break fall style, uh, mm -hmm. tuck your chin, you know, slap the mat. And then you work up to, you know, from a squat, then you work up from, you know, as soon as you're comfortable, do it from, from standing. And then you, then you start to work in, uh, you know, your regular throws. You'd be like, Hey, this throw, you can end up in a back break fall. So if you do like Ochigari and you could land in the side, but you worst case scenario, you'll end up in a back break fall. So you have to have this good. Or if it's like a pickup a double leg, uh, you might need it there. Um, same thing with the side fall. So I like the side fall from the ground, just like really, really basic, just turn side to side and end up in the shape. And I watch them. I'm like, your the shape of your side fall is not good. So if you're if you get thrown from height, you want to be in the shape as you go down. It's just like if you take kataguruma in the kata, you better be in the right shape when you're falling from you know <laughs> <laughs> falling from height. So because mm -hmm. if you're not, it's gonna be a bad time. And eventually, you know, you can start to get them to have you know more explosion from like their hips going side to side. Then you can do like walk forward falls to the side, walk forward, falls to the side from a squat, fall to the side. That's generally how I do it for, uh, like back and side. And then, you know, same thing. What most people probably do for, uh, simple Kaiten for the forward roll and break fall, you know, one knee up, go forward. I, we have, we used to have these awesome, uh, yoga balls, which are really, mm -hmm. really good for helping teaching beginners, uh, how to do it. You're like trace a line from their pinky cross their back to the hip. You're like pinky to far hip and you're just like, give them the ball and they can do it. So yeah. 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 Seen that. I don't know That's what the, I don't, I don't know what the center did with the yoga balls, but I should go find them because they were nice. Yeah. I, I pulled the yoga ball out as last resort for people who really, really can't get it. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But because we only have one yoga ball, that's the, that's the constraint we have for teaching. Right. But, um, well, we, look, we have three, 
You can try to eat one of them peanut. is a peanut. We can't. That's not. <laughs> and the other one has shape. a handle on it. So yeah. you stick your hand in the handle. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 you just reminded me. I really need to make that Ukemi video because it's. <laughs> I, I can't teach it in class because it will bore the shit out of everyone. He's been like, uh, he's been talking about this for like a year. A year <laughs> now. A year. I, I, I kept having health. This. I kept having health problems, and then um. I was I was gonna record in my garage, but then it rained all the time and my garage leaks, so um I couldn't lay the mats out when it rains. We had a lot of rain in LA for those who didn't know uh this past uh winter. But um yeah, but I, I try to impart what you said, like um I another other than the fear of falling, recreating that, there's a lot of little details I try to explain to people so that when they take the fall and it sucks, I I want them to figure out what went wrong themselves because i can't be watching 15 people and correct every single ukami for it while they're all doing it at the same time so i'm like look every time you fall i want you to look at yourself and see what you messed up on and fix it before you get back up so you have to be able to explain to them okay hand is here why is it here like versus just telling them to slap the mat that's like works for the most part but they don't remember why they need to do it or what went wrong like for example recently some some beginners were complaining about their knees hurting from falling so next it's because they weren't there for when i explained what the feet position should be like and why um did you ask if, if it was an owie or an injury <laughs> i should do that huh? <laughs> but yeah i i need to explain to them because um if you fall and it doesn't your feet don't look like this position then you just took a bad fall and you take like 50 of them during class and your knees are going to start hurting so that's uh something that is the boring part that should replace the the slapping on your back kind of thing because that that is totally decoupled and useless like i i totally agree on that that if you're sit, just the whole old school japanese style of laying on your back and then slapping and tuck, tucking your chin in as you slap or sitting on crouching down and rolling back which i still do in class just so people know what to do in other classes but i think it has it does nothing for teaching people how to fall um the the best exercise is having someone sitting on the, uh, your partner's tur turtling back and then slowly sliding backwards. Like even most adults that do the the ukemi right, when you have them do it slowly, they will stick their elbows out. At the very least, stick their elbows out and block it that way. So you know what, Christian? I'm gonna make some advanced judo falling videos for me, and you can watch those ones. <laughs> <sighs> wow. What an interview. You learned a lot yeah. of stuff from that part, eh? Yeah, so I am i didn't expect it to go that long and we didn't even cover all the topics. We only covered probably half of the stuff and uh, I hope only it half? people. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I hope it peaks people. Well, we're saying this as in just the part one <laughs> right now, right? But the whole part two parts only covers the half of the stuff, but hopefully it peaks people's interest into listening to the second part and also maybe read more into it and apply it themselves. Um, I'm also glad that it went that long because now we don't have to think about what to talk about for the <laughs> following week. We don't have to record ahead of time for my trip. I can just cut this in two parts and uh, go on my trip and not worry about it. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's real easy for you. That's good. All right. So with that, please remember to like, share, and subscribe. You can follow us at the Tommy Talk on Instagram. You can follow us at Tommy Talk on YouTube. If you have any email, you can email us with any questions, things you want us to talk about, things you want to talk about this episode about ecological training. Please send it to us at Tommy, not at Tommy, but Tommy Talk at gmail.com.
If you want to follow me, you can follow me on Instagram at the Jerry underscore one. You follow Anthony, Anthony Throws on Instagram. So Anthony, is there anything else that I'm forgetting? Yeah, I just had a thought. This is going to be in the next uh, opening for the part two we're going to do. Is that I see a all lot right. of YouTubers actually say, don't forget to hit subscribe and like and the bell and all that kind of stuff. So we should do that in the next episode. So in the beginning. The beginning? Yeah. Cause as, Smash that like button. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. So with that. So with that. Don't forget to smash that like button and slap the mat. <laughs>